Fundraising Everywhere podcast is kindly sponsored by our friends at Just Given. Now, one of the things that we love most about Just Given is that they believe that everyone deserves to be able to use the very best fundraising tech to raise more money. And that includes all charities, small and big, and anyone in the world that wants to make a difference for a cause they care about. And although they've been around for years, they're still as passionate as ever about creating cool new tech and are always releasing new features. Plus, the team's lush to work with and they really care about charities. Fundraising everywhere. 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 You need to add me in there. Hey, welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. It's lovely to have you here. Over the next two episodes, we're taking a look at some of our favorite individual giving on-demand sessions in celebration of our IG conference coming up on the 19th of October. If you'd like to join us at the conference, you can use the promo code FEPODCAST to get 50% off. Yep, just pop in FE Podcast at checkout to get 50% off IG conference in October via our website. Now, on today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, um, and a very, very warm welcome to everyone. Thanks for joining my session on how to predict the future and build resilience um, into your IG programs. And no, this is not going to be a witchcraft course, <laughs> but we'll have other really exciting ways to be able to predict what's going to happen in the future. A very special hello to some of our members. I know some of you are here today um, and I'm bringing the energy today in this last lot of the day. I've got um, my tea, I've had a bit of cake and I'm ready to go. Um, I don't know if you've discovered the emoji function that's just on the ribbon below. If you hover over the chat button, you can choose an emoji. Do you want to just give me a little emoji so I know that you're with me? Oh, yeah, I've got some confetti thumbs up. Oh, amazing. You are there. Great. I'm not I'm not alone talking into the ether. <laughs> That's great. Um, so for those who don't know me, I'm Alex Agidis, and I'm, as Wayne said, the head of growth marketing at Fundraising Everywhere and Everywhere Plus. Um, I've been here for just over a year now. Prior to that, I spent just over 10 years as a fundraiser in the UK charity sector across a range of disciplines, but predominantly IG. I'm now um, streaming across to your screens from my home in Northwest France. Um, let me know where you're tuning in from and what your role is in the chat box. I'd love to know. I'll give you a moment to do that. And what's the weather like where you are? Because um, it's a bit, it, it's strangely warm here at the moment for this time of year, which is rather worrying. Um, but it has meant that I haven't had to put the heating on yet, which I guess is a bonus right now. So Janine is from sunny Oxford. Wayne is a tired human from Sussex. Got Wakefield, Wet and Grey, Dorset, New Jersey, US, amazing, Crawley, fabulous. And we've got Edinburgh, oh, we've got people from all over. This is amazing. Okay, cool. So um, let's get started. Um, I'm lucky to be able to connect and collaborate with lots of brilliant fundraisers in my role. Um, and I've been speaking to various heads of IG in prep preparation for today's session to get their input um, 
to what they think is the most important thing to be considering in the running of an IG programme during a challenging period, such as a cost of living crisis. Now, I certainly don't have all the answers, but what I'll present to you today is a combination of what I've heard from my peers, plus my own experiences. As mentioned, I've been a fundraiser for over a decade now, um, and in my previous role as head of IG at Friends of the Earth, I led the team um, from just before the start of the pandemic until I moved to Fundraising Everywhere and Everywhere Plus 13 months ago. Just to pause you, Alex, there's a lot of okay. people... A lot of people have only got black screens. I wonder. If oh, that's not... interesting. Can you see me? I can. Yeah. Ah, I wonder if it's um, something that they need to refresh at their end, possibly. Um, folk that can't see me, can you see Wayne? Some people can see me. I can only see black screens. No well, so what I will say is um, I don't actually have any slides. And I was going to say to people that with this being the last slot of the day, um, you don't need to look at me, actually. And if you want to kind of have camera off and like sink into your chair um, and listen to me or have a little wander around your room after you listen to me, um, don't worry. Um, I can try and refresh myself once, maybe. Um, and then if that doesn't work, don't worry at all, because there's nothing interesting that I'm showing you at all. You'll just you'll just see my face. But I'll try. And um, yeah, people can hear me. You know what? Because I, 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 I don't want to risk kind of not being able to come back in at all. So let's press on. Um, but yeah, just uh, put camera off um, and just uh, listen, listen to this north northwest uh, accent. <laughs> um, so where did I get to? I see many parallels during um, the time um, of the pandemic and now, um, which is the cost of living crisis on the fundraising side of things. Um, and I'm hoping that some of the things I learned along the way, you'll find helpful and relevant to your work now. Um, caveat, none of this is groundbreaking, but what I hope to leave you with at the end of my session is the assurance that you are doing the right things, maybe the confidence to try a few new things, and also some solidarity that having been through a similar time myself, I know this is linking hard, personally, professionally, as fundraisers, managers, individuals. Um, and this is a really safe space where we can be uh, very open about that. The themes I'll take you through can really be boiled down to these four things, which is agility, diversity, communication and self-care. Um, and as mentioned, with me being the last slot in this room, you'll definitely see some themes that have come up in the other talks. But that's a good thing, right? We're seeing patterns, so we, we must be onto something. Um, I hope to take maybe 25 minutes or so talking through these areas, and then I'd really be um, up for having a chat with people in the chat box and to speak to any conversation points that have bubbled up there. Um, Wayne, if you do spot any questions that come up in the chat box, um, I'm very happy to answer questions as we go as well. So that would be fabulous if you could just let me know. So let's go. Agility. Um, I will refrain from using the P word, the P word being P-I-V-O-T, only because I think I'm scarred from the pandemic and I think maybe others are kind of over it as well. Um, but the spirit of the P word is still very relevant now. Hold your plans lightly, be agile and ready to implement plan B, plan C, plan D, and so forth. You know, we've, we've heard this from the speakers already in this room. 
Rising costs as we go into the winter may cause any number of hurdles for us to navigate from pushing campaigns um, to becoming viable. So they're just too expensive for us to run anymore. We're not getting the return um, to last minute cancellations or delays from suppliers, which we know is a really huge issue at the moment. I mean, look at everything that's going on with Royal Mail. There are two main things that I want you to keep in mind here. Firstly, be focused on your goals. Is your aim to increase regular givers or email leads? Or is there a business need requiring cash to be the priority? You and your whole team need to be really, really clear about that. I mention this as when we go through challenging periods, our judgment can become clouded. We're more likely to make um, knee-jerk reactions. And sometimes that can lead us down the wrong path. Yes, you need to be agile and you need to be able to adjust your plans easily, but make sure that you do this in a controlled way. Try not to lose sight of your big picture and what you really need to achieve to make that happen. The second thing I wanted to mention here is um, the evolving and changing audience needs um, as a result of um, the cost of living crisis. Some of you may have joined behavioural science expert Cherry and Koshi's session earlier in the IG conference, um, or I also did a pre-interview, a pre-summer interview with him last week. If you missed those sessions, I really, really urge you to catch up with them on demand. Firstly, because obviously behavioural science is just fascinating. Um, secondly, because it's directly relevant and actually essential to IG fundraising right now. Cherian spoke of the flight or fight response we can experience during periods of stress or trauma. And this can lead individuals, humans, us, donors, becoming more inward looking and more concerned with our own welfare. It makes sense, right? You know, when we're trying to work out how to um, make our bill payments for a certain month and afford the weekly shop, it's understandable that um, our world starts to become a little bit smaller. Strong, direct, and urgent asks which is what we know um, as fundraisers, the best way to solicit donations and actually really turn donors off during difficult times. Um, it adds to their cognitive overload. There's only so many things that we can be thinking about at one time, specifically when it's the negative things. Um, I won't go into this too deeply as Cherry and can speak about that far, far better than me, and he is much more qualified to do so. And um, so do catch up on his sessions. But the reason I mention this is because we need to be agile and open and ready to try new ways of doing things. We need to look at data, listen to the data, um, make sure it's the right data, as you know, Lisa was speaking to. Listen to your audience, as Janine um, and Tim were, were speaking to, um, and be open to moving outside of your experience and comfort zone because it might be just what your activities and your audiences need. So that's a whistle-stop tour of agility. Um, next, I'm going to move on to diversity. So we all know that have um, a safe individual giving program, we need to spread risk. Okay, this isn't groundbreaking. We know we can't have all our eggs in one basket, even at the best of times, let alone a cost of living crisis. But what does that actually mean? What, what do we actually mean when we talk about diversity or diversification in an IG programme? When I talk about spreading risk, I mean it in every possible facet of the programme. Of course, you want to ensure a good mix of channels, products, asks, people, 
perspectives. You also need to be thinking about having a good mix of things like suppliers too. I mean, let's say you have a huge direct mail program, but you're only actively working with one printing supplier. If they go under, goodness forbid, you're going to be in great difficulty. I remember a situation, a previous role, where there was a shortage of paper. Other people might remember this on the call. I don't think it was specific to us and our suppliers, but it was a nightmare. Uh, We had a really big DM program um, and the shortage actually affected several suppliers. So that was the problem. Um, We happened to have a healthy roster of printers to go to that had already been approved on our procurement system. And we were able to solve the issue fairly quickly. Um, but if we hadn't have been, uh, it would have been very, very problematic. We really relied on that income. The same goes if you're bringing in most of your regular givers via face-to-face fundraising. Which agency is bringing in the bulk of your volume? Who else are you working with? How can you balance your budget differently to protect your activity if one of your agencies drops out? I know we all know this already, um, but I think that we do, myself included, need reminding of it every now and again. It's too easy to get comfortable, especially if we're seeing good results come through. And of course, every programme is different and your programmes will all comprise of different elements and risks. Um, But I'd like uh, you to spend a few minutes now um, just personally, quietly thinking about your specific programme or campaigns or campaign. Is there an imbalance there that could leave you exposed? Have a little think about that. I will give you until, um, let's come back at 36. I think more people are interested in what you look like, Alex. I just saw that. I was just starting to reply to that. I was going to say yellow top and big hair. (laughs) And glasses. I've got glasses. And if people feel comfortable doing so, no problem at all, if not, but drop them in the chat box as well, um, if you'd like to. So we have just had a question come through that I will answer. Um, And also, I'm very lucky that I have um, a room full of experts here who I will draw from. Um, But we've had a question from Joe who's saying, if you're starting an IG programme from the ground up, where would you start given the challenging times we live in? Now, it would be interesting, Joe, to understand where in that process you are. Are you about to start? Are you one year in, two years in, one week in? Um, I remember, um, Lisa, what you were saying in your session, 
around, you know, starting an IG programme right now might not always be the right solution for everybody, particularly if um, you don't feel you can compete in, in the specific area that, you, that you're that you going to work in. Um, it sounds like, Joe, you, you, you've already started. You're in the process of doing that. Um, and yeah. I think, yeah, Joe, go for it. Oh, hiya. Um, so, yeah, basically, I work for an organisation. It's actually quite a big organisation called Relief International. Um, but they've got about, previously they've had about 99% of their donations. Our donations have come from essentially government grants. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the conversation today is you know, a lot of it has been around diversification. And we are you know, trying to diversify our income by building an individual given program. Um, and it's really kind of building it from the ground up. Like we do have a large database, but a huge amount of data is corrupt. There aren't any welcome journeys. There aren't very thought through supporter journeys. We don't know much about um, our current supporters or the kind of people who would give to us at kind of like lower levels. Um, so I was wondering, you know, I know the conversation is around building resilience into your program. And I guess we, we are trying to do that by mm. diversifying. Yeah, cool. But the one way of doing that is actually by building an individual game program. Yeah, Sounds absolutely. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's a great question, definitely, because I feel like there will be lots of fundraisers and charities in, in a similar spot. Um, now, Wayne, of course, has like totally hit the nail on the head. Um, so Wayne has written audience relevance and focusing on the bullseye, not the peripheral. So just to build on that, absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, who is your audience and who like do you have that information at the moment? Do you need to do a process? Um, to find that information, who is interested mm-hmm. in you, you know, uh, what would your, you know, prospective audience potentially look like? Um, mm-hmm. Very clever people like Janine would be able to help you with, with that kind of thing. Um, and then you need to think about, you know, who you are as a charity. What do you do? Why should these people care about what you do and start packaging yeah. up some propositions for them. Yeah. Um, and then dependent, we won't go too deep into it because this could be a really big, uh, this yeah. could be a workshop on its own. It's so interesting. Um, but you'd need to think about, you know, what are your capabilities, what are your budgets and what are the best channels to then try. Um, and yeah, Lisa is wise AF as well. Um, to be able to communicate with those people. So it might be, for instance, you know, running an email lead campaign and trying to get people on an email list, for instance. Um, But then, of course, you would need to have, you know, emails to go out to people with welcome journeys and whatnot. Um, But yeah, Janine has dropped her email in there. um, And Mm -hmm. I can highly recommend, um, even if you have like a really really quick conversation with her, hopefully she'll be able to, to progress your thinking a little bit further. Great. Thank you very much. That's really helpful. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, cool. So what else? Um, I'm keeping an eye on the time because um, we have until three. So we've heard about quick wins already today. How about quick wins that further your goals and media opportunities, networks or contacts you can leverage to further your aims? Partners, brands, other charities. Uh, Phil was talking about, you know, uh, corporate partnerships that can help to, um, you know, propel your, your fundraising aims. Whenever I used to talk to my team um, at Friends of the Earth about quick wins, I often used to reference the prison break scene. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's, um, you know, the scene where there's all the prisoners and they're trying to get out of the prison. And there's the engineer prisoner who was showing the other prisoners the five or so key points um, on the wall to make holes in to weaken it. So then the whole thing comes down. 
And this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. I think this is a really great metaphor uh, for this kind of thing. Exploring quick wins like this can really help propel you forward. It's great for motivation. Um, and it's something a bit different, which can be fun when things feel a little bit bleak and uh, morale is low. Before I move on, um, I wanted to take a moment to speak about creativity. Um, and we have some very creative people on the call today. Um, so they'll know an awful lot about this. But, you know, are you giving yourself the space to be creative and think outside of the box? Often when we're in these uh, fight or flight situations, we're feeling, um, you know, our cognitive load is extremely high. We're, you know, I imagine it as like I've got a big bucket of water on my head and it's totally full and every time I move like a bit of water's falling out and those are the things I you know have forgotten to do or um I didn't realize I had to do um and often it's those times that we have to be thinking more creatively than ever because there's other stuff that's going on so do you think that you're doing this well already do you ever come together as a team to ideate do, do you get up from your desk regularly to take a walk and mull over a new concept when it comes to innovation and trying new things, you'll often hear the 80-20 rule. So 80 tried and tested, 20 new. Um, don't be overwhelmed by this. And it doesn't have to cost the world to innovate. And um, we've heard it already on, on, on in this room. Um, but when you do innovate, make sure that you're moving into the right spaces um, and make sure you're engaging the right stakeholders from the start and involve them in the process. Support to care or digital don't want to don't want the first time they hear of your new campaign to be when you're asking for it to go live next week. Um, okay, that's a bit of a, an extreme example, but you get what I mean. And remember, I am talking from experience here. <laughs> Another thing to bear in mind when diversifying your activities and trying new things is the volume of new things that you're trying and your team's capacity to be able to deliver that. It's something that Phil was speaking about in his session. Usually with IG, a campaign, whether it brings in 100 quid or 1,000 quid, it takes the same amount of work to deliver, which I think is fair to say. Do you agree? Um, therefore, having lots of small campaigns, bringing in fairly small numbers can be a challenge to manage if you're a small team. Um, again, keep your focus. We've heard this already today. Prioritise and be brutal to cut the things that aren't going to help you reach your goals. And worse, drain your team's resource, energy, motivation, and morale. So I just want you to take maybe, yeah, 30 or 60 seconds to think about um, whether you have a campaign at the moment that's a drain. So, you know, you're not seeing the results. Um, it's complicated to manage. It's draining your team's morale. Um, so we'll come back at 43 in a bit. <laughs> have a little think about that. And yes, Phil, I do some of my best problem solving, having a little walk around the park. It's amazing. I'll have been trying to figure something out for like 45 minutes at my desk. And as soon as I get outside, um, the, the, you know, the solution just manifests. And I know that Janine and Lisa are very, very big advocates of that in their approach as well. It's amazing what a change of scenery and, and a bit of fresh air can do. Lisa does a walk by the, walk by the sea. Walk by the sea, indeed. I feel inspired just thinking about Lisa having a walk by the sea. <laughs> I did. I did one with Lisa, and she, we we created a whole 
customer journeys, Porter journey on a on the sand. On the sand, didn't we with a stick? Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> but then the sea started coming in, and it's like in windy. <laughs> I know, and it was windy, and it was like stop covering up the sand drawing. It was That's great. A great visual. I keep thinking though that people would have been walking past there after us, looking at that wiring diagram that we on the sand at Sandbanks Beach right going what in God's name has been going on who were the geniuses that were here on the beach 45 minutes ago it was it was more that you only just left on and I there was loads of on and I people (laughs) they were lifeguards weren't they they were like oh for goodness sake (laughs) funny amazing cool so hopefully you've yeah you've had a think about that and you've written it down um and maybe you'll sleep on it tonight and then you might have a conversation with a colleague um about that that campaign that's a drain um so let's move on I want to speak about testing for a moment um testing is and should remain an integral part of your strategy in fact it's more important than ever as the reliance on our sector is ever increasing along with increased competition evolve in the audience needs. Don't assume anything. Keep testing, refining, and most importantly, listening, which we've heard a lot today already. See, I was listening. I know what I know what other people were saying. Um, as we've heard already so eloquently from speakers in the room, you know, that skill to be able to listen to the external um, will be our greatest tool as we move through this period. Now, we've spoken about holding plans lightly and diversification, but what about being able to see what's coming up ahead? So I did say no witchcraft, um, so this won't come as a shock to you, but you need to be planning for lots of different futures. This means lots of financial models that can calculate what this does to your fundraising mix and, of course, your bottom line. Now, this is essential for you as fundraisers. We need to know what's going on in our budget um, and what's going on in our programmes. But it's also essential for those that you work with, your managers, team leads, directors, trustees. Lots of scenarios communicated well, which we'll go on to in a moment, help stakeholders feel in control. You need to be planning for the worst case scenario, but also be able to show the scope of best case scenario as well. Keep close to these models, review and adjust them regularly. But in the meantime, Um, because you won't be doing that every day, every week. Keep a close eye on those key performance indicators that are a marker of overall programme health. So monthly base, our geotrition, for example, is one that you really don't want to take your eye off. And let's say you have two, three or four dates that um, regular givers uh, have selected for their gifts to go out. Those are the times that you want to be looking at that attrition rate to see how it's behaving. Email unsubscribes is another really important one, particularly as donors might start responding differently to your messages. In my head of IG role during the pandemic, this was a very live situation for me. We didn't know, like fundraisers and other charities, how our supporters would weather the storm and therefore how our fundraising income would fare. I made sure that I kept close to the numbers using my internal spreadsheet, so the ones that looked very complicated and a bit scary that only I really understood, but that I had very stripped back, simplified external spreadsheets with short narratives on performance to show and discuss with my seniors. These would include a low, medium and high scenario to show the range of possibilities, which really helped, first of all, with comprehension Too much information, as Lisa was saying in her session earlier, can be blinding, particularly for people not as close to your activities as you. 
but it also helps stakeholders feel in control at a time when we really didn't have that much control over anything. Great communication with your team, your manager, senior leadership, trustees, whoever it is you report into is essential at the best of times. But during periods of uncertainty, it becomes business critical. Too little information is terrifying. Too much is overwhelming. But the right amount of information, those key headlines that summarise what's going on with your campaigns, programme, programmes, helps people feel in control. And communication and collaboration come hand in hand. Do what you can to avoid working in silos. Share your work with other teams and get their input where needed. Update one another regularly. Enjoy your coffee and a catch-up. It doesn't even feel have to feel like work. But strong working relationships with colleagues is a must-have through the good times and the bad. And it also feels really good, which leads me on to my final ingredient, which is self-care. Now, I purposefully left this to the end because I really wanted to stress it. This is absolutely the most important element. There will be lots and lots of different experiences as we go through this period, not unlike the pandemic, within our teams, directorates, organisations, even within ourselves at different times. Remember to give space. We might not respond as we usually would during the months ahead due to additional pressures, whether it be at home, work. Give yourself and others space when needed. They say things can feel better after a good night's sleep. And I agree, taking that time is always the best way to gain a better perspective. Something that our leaders spoke a lot about in my previous role was assuming the best, which I I really love. Assume the best of others, colleagues, suppliers. We're all in this together and the better we can cooperate with one another, the better we'll get through it. And I really believe it's much less of a strain on ourselves and our own well-being too, to have that approach. And do what you can to keep your resilience as high as possible. You need to nourish yourself, both with good food and good experiences. You need to make sure you and your teams are taking the time to do more of the things that feel good for you. It might be your favorite Netflix series, exercise, baking a cake, color by numbers, whatever it might be. But take that time. It'll help you feel more centered, more rested. You'll sleep better. Talking of my own experience of leading a team during the pandemic, some of the more contrived well-being time sessions within the team, aka a universal blocking diaries for well-being, however well-meaning, I think I know now often isn't the way to go. Of course, it's great and important to come together and connect as a team, but people need the space to be able to build their resilience in their own ways too, on their own schedule. And there are more external factors to well-being and resilience as well. Okay, we might not be able to control the cost of living crisis, but if you're a manager, make sure your team's workloads are manageable. What feedback loops have you got in place to track this? Remind staff to take regular holidays and ensure that they're taking back overtime. Thank them, make them feel valued. Ensure you're checking in with them enough to spot things quickly as they start to emerge. And looking at it on the other side, You know, make sure that you as an individual are taking responsibility to communicate with your manager about how you're experiencing work, your workload or other stresses so you can be supported. People want to help. So I'm coming up to the end of my presentation now, but I hope that I've gone some way in convincing you that agility, diversity, communication and self-care 
are the most important ingredients when trying to predict the future and build resilience in your programs. Remember, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So be kind to yourself, to others. Plan as well as you can and communicate your plans effectively. And lastly, remember not to take the whole organization's responsibility on your shoulders. I know this can be hard to do. I've been guilty of it too. Um, And I saw a lot of my team doing this during the pandemic. But everyone is in this together. Fundraising is a shared goal. We we really can't do it alone. Um, So, yeah, that's one of the key things that I wanted to leave you with today. Um, But, yeah, we've got about eight or so minutes left. So I would love to, yeah, have a little look at the chat box, see uh, what conversation's been going on and answer any questions as well. At least you do your best thinking when you're eating cake. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd definitely take a slice of cake whilst walking on the beach. That sounds like the dream. Also, just to pipe in, uh, like that that felt like therapy. Do you know what I mean? I think we all needed to hear that, really. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, we've all... Well, many of us have been in the sector a while and been through the pandemic and been through lots lots of other stuff as well. And it is, it's really easy to take the responsibility of the world on your shoulders. And, you know, and sometimes there's an expectation of that as well. And it's, it's, it's not right and it's not fair. And, you know, I just referenced the amount of times she said the word kind and it was seven times in the last four minutes. And I think, you know, that's, that's really, really important. So... Yeah, if there are any other questions or anything that anyone else would like to pull up, go for it, Jimmy. And there was one which is be kind upwards as well. Like one of the things that's come out of Lisa's report is that about half the CEOs are thinking of resigning because it's really lonely and they are going to be, you know, all of their peers and the the CEO and the trustees would be like, we need more money, we need more money. And they will be like really feeling it. So, Yeah. yeah, be kind up. I think we forget that generally um, charity workers are more feeling people and that obviously goes for, you know, all roles, all levels. Um, And I think that's a really important thing to remember as well, Janine. Thank you. Lisa. Lisa. Um, I just, I was having a chat with a client this morning and two things came up and I think it's worth remembering them. She said, but I am responsible. She was a fundraising director. I am responsible for generating the money this organisation needs. Um, and I've, I feel the weight of the responsibility of all of that money that I've got to bring in. And I think this is time. This is a time to recognise that as fundraising directors or development directors, we can we have to be honest with our organisations. And actually, underwriting the activities of the organisation is an organisational responsibility, not a fundraising responsibility. The responsibility of the fundraisers, particularly the senior ones, when you're writing your strategies to go back to your finance director, go back to your chief executive and say, right, this is what the organisation is going to cost to run over the next 12 months. This is how much of that we can generate in fundraising. And be honest. Now, the rest of it is up to the organisation. They either have to go away and find a different income source or they have to cut that cost, one or the other. And I think for too long, we've just taken, as fundraising directors, taken and taken and taken responsibility for underwriting every single penny. When actually that's not what we're there to do. And that drives unnecessary pressure on teams that are constantly being given, what do we call them, stretch targets. In reality, those are often unrealistic targets by a different name. So Absolutely. be really honest as fundraising directors and, be, and have that, that, that conversation as an equal 
with your chief exec and your finance director and say, well, okay, we can bring this much of that in. But beyond that, that's not going to happen. Not doing your organization any favors if you're encouraging Mm -hmm. them to spend money that you know you're not going to raise. So absolutely. And and it's it's all for your team, like Phil was saying in his presentation, you know, when fundraisers, fundraisers have unrealistic targets that they never meet, feels crap. Yeah, does. You know, you never have that celebration of like, you know what team, because I used to say this to my team all the time, but you work your absolute socks off all the time. Sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't, but just when it doesn't, it doesn't mean you worked any less hard. So it can be very, very demoralizing, can't it? Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. Really important to think about. A couple of things you really made me reflect on there, Alex. And one, uh, you just dropped it casually, but talking about you know, listening, not broadcasting. And that's something that I see quite a lot internally with charities is is that they're used to doing things a certain way. They build this sort of metaphorical wall around themselves and then they're just not listening or, or thinking mm-hmm. new ways of doing things. And another thing that you said when you were talking about reporting and being nimble and, and agile with reporting is that it makes me realise that a lot of charities internally just need to get rid of a lot of the crap you know what I mean? What what we've done historically, because we've had a much calmer horizon, is that I think we, we were all responsible for building process on top of process on top of process, and justify how important we are and and yeah. to and to feel busy. And I think you know not only is that irrelevant in a lot of cases, but it disguises what the truth of the organisation is, and you strip mm-hmm. it away and you see what you are, which is a loose collective of humans who are trying to do fucking good do you know what I mean and that's what we need to get back to and I think it reflects back to I think it was Lisa's presentation where you know it's like you need to remember that these are human beings you know like yeah Yeah. internally and externally absolutely absolutely really good any other questions from anyone I think Phil has said great point I think this was about modeling and scenario planning and it's become a cornerstone of our digital marketing planning approach in the last year we've moved away from a forecast or estimate of performance towards a best to worst range of potential performance because that that is what it is you know sometimes we can predict what the outcome is going to be when we're in a very very stable time when we've done, done the campaign you know time is over and iterated and you know we know it's a for the moment it's a cash cow um but during times like these we don't know and um we we can't take that responsibility as Lisa was saying as well for saying you know here's an activity it's going to bring in a thousand pounds and it's definitely going to be a thousand pounds and it's going to be by next week um but by having those range of scenarios we can show that scale and help others who are less close to the work feel more in control and more like they understand what that range of outcomes could look like. Yeah, brilliant. But thank you everyone for listening. I know that we, yeah, we're, we're out of time now. I've really enjoyed being here with you all. And thank you for um, the other sessions as well, which have just been um, just so nourishing. I feel like my soul has been nourished with goodness and information. Absolutely. Shall I just wrap up by first of all saying massive thank you to to Alex, but um, in, in in my way of simplifying all of the complicated information that's come out this way, for, for me personally, there's been kind of like six like really simple takeaways that are actually massive. And one is that one that I just mentioned of like data is people. So let's let's remember that, you know, all of the time. The second one for me is about being clear on your mission. Like, There's never been a more important time to be clear on your mission so that people understand who you are and what you stand for. 
The third one is about co-creation and shift in power and centre and lived experience, that that is the way forward and we need to keep pushing that. Um, fourthly, it's like the future is about changing culture and the way in which we work and we need to be open to that and we need to, we need to embrace that. Um, the fifth one for me is something that I will never stop banging on about, but it's become loud and clear today. And that's that uh, it is about humans, not hierarchy. It's not about who's got the best job title. It's about creating an environment where good ideas can flourish. Um, and the final one for me, which was like replicated in every single session today, was that we have to be open to the new because it really is the only game in town. Right? Genuinely. So please take all that away. And I'd just like to say a big thank you to all of the speakers today. It's absolutely blown my socks off. I hope it's blown yours off too. Thanks to everyone for coming along. Um, you know, really got a sense of community and, and shared experience here. And finally, like a massive big up to fundraising and everywhere and everywhere plus for creating um, these incredible situations that we can all come together and, and learn. Thank you so much for listening to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not share it with a fundraising friend? And if you would like to give us a little like or subscribe, it really helps more fundraisers like you find us. Thank you so much. See you next time. Fundraising Everywhere podcast is kindly sponsored by our friends at Just Given. Now, one of the things that we love most about Just Given is that they believe that everyone deserves to be able to use the very best fundraising tech to raise more money. And that includes all charities, small and big, and anyone in the world that wants to make a difference for a cause they care about. And although they've been around for years, they're still as passionate as ever about creating cool new tech and are always releasing new features. Plus, the team's lush to work with and they really care about charities.